welcome to another episode of the Dope Black Woman podcast. I'm Leanne Levers, one of the co-founders of Dope Black Woman, and today I'm really excited to have with me Molly Jensen, the CEO of Afropods, and she's going to talk to us about being a curator of cultural retention. Hi, Molly. Hey, Leanne. How are you? Thank I'm you so good. much for having me. Oh, thank you so much for coming on. We've been, I feel like we've been trying to do this for a long time, right? Um, <laughs> Molly, and sure. I, Molly and I met uh, several months ago through a good friend of both of ours, Nikebo, who has also been on the podcast. Shout out to Nikebo. And she was like, yeah, I need you to meet Molly. She's just this amazing human being. She's doing big things. She's, yeah. So I want you to tell us, Molly, who you are, introduce yourself, tell us what you do and what makes you a dope Black woman. Sure. Well, wow. Um, <laughs> definitely shout out Nakiba. She put us in contact and I can't be more grateful to have met you and to have been exposed to your platform. But uh, to everyone listening, hey, what's up? Uh, my name is Molly. I'm originally from New York, and I currently live in Nairobi, Kenya. I'm the CEO of Afropods. We are a pan-African free podcast hosting platform on the continent. We're digitizing African stories and building out the largest library of African audio stories on the planet throughout the continent and the diaspora, which is quite a sentence and quite a mission, but it's important, especially because storytelling is so fundamental to the DNA of Africans and it gives us a chance to kind of take up space. So that's my day job. And when you <laughs> ask what makes me a dope black woman, I mean, all black women are dope and you know, you. our sauce cannot be replicated. But for me, I think I'm not afraid to take a risk. Mm. I've definitely, um, you know, challenged myself in ways that I didn't think I would make it through on the other side. And even moving to Kenya is extremely far from New York and not having a community and then living through a pandemic. I think I'm dope because I'm not scared. And oh. every time I see something new, I'm, I'm amazed that I made it through, you know? That's amazing. And you know, so much of what we talk about on the podcast or in our WhatsApp groups is actually being scared or or overcoming kind of your fear is to take that next step. And before we even get into the massive undertaking of Afropods, how do you practice being fearless? Like, how do you make those steps? I mean, what was it like taking that leap from moving from New York? What was your life like there before? And then transitioning into this completely new space? Had you ever been to Kenya before? I mean, talk us through this fearless like journey that you've been on. Oh, girl, let's be honest. Um, I am faking it till I make it. <laughs> you don't you don't know that you're scared until you're scared. And I think the one thing that gives me a lot of security, especially being far away, is that, you know, you can be on a plane at any time. Mm. You're not stuck anywhere. And when you need your community, your community will show up for you. So it's like very rooted in me that I am as close as I need to be to have exactly what I need at any given time. And even though my people, like my inner circle, my people are far, they'll show up for me when the time is right or when it's necessary. And I would do the same for them. Yeah. But the answer, the first part of your question, Kenya. Um, 
so for context, my mom is born and raised in Ghana. My grandparents are Ewe. They're from the Volta region. Shout out Volta region, you know, um, right? We out here. And also shout out the Black Stars making it to the World Cup. I hope I'm in Qatar for 2022. We out here. Yes, we're out here. We're going to be doing the Azanto. We're going to be dancing. We're going to have the face paint. It's happening. But, um, you know, I moved to East Africa, Kenya. I had not visited Kenya before um, my boyfriend actually moved here. And long story short is I moved for love, but frankly, I came and I checked it out. I spent some time, you know, learning about, could I find what I needed out here? Could I find a job? Did I like the city? Did I feel comfortable in Uber by myself? Did I know where I could go if I felt lonely? Could I find a favorite restaurant? And all of those things could happen. And I've always been one that believed that, you know, life is extremely short. And I like how I change when I put myself in challenging situations. I've changed in every city that I've lived in. And I've become more of the woman I am today because of those experiences. So it felt like moving to Kenya was just giving me another opportunity to become more of me. And frankly, I was really, really ready for a change and I wasn't scared of it. So I came to Kenya, I didn't have a job, pandemic hit. I have an extremely sensitive immune system and I was scared and you know, God put it in my path. <laughs> I would like to say God put it in my path where opportunity kind of showed up and I was in a position to take it. You know, a lot of, it's not that people aren't given the chances to do something big or impressive or bold. It's just a lot of time I feel like life is so cluttered that you miss it. Mm. And I was in a position where everything was clear. And so with Afropods, I was appointed as the CEO which was incredible. I had done a lot of consulting in the audio space. I know the importance of radio. I know how impactful it is as a medium here. I see what's happening in tech and in audio and in media on a global scale, specifically in the States and in Europe. And I know what's gonna happen in emerging markets. And it felt like this was too important of an opportunity to not take up because it meant that my role and my job was to make decisions on behalf of the African on the ground. Mm -hmm. None of it was about me, but it was about breaking down barriers to entry, building community, finding out what people need and being privileged enough to create those things, right? It's, it's a privilege to have a job like this, but there's also a huge responsibility when you're talking about storytelling in Africa. <laughs> I mean, what could be more integral to the DNA of African people around the world, whether they're on the continent, in the diaspora, in the Caribbean, in the States, in Europe, in Brazil. This is heavy and it's important and it's happening so quickly here. And there's no one that really knows how it's going to work on the continent. Mm. Like it's, it's my belief that Africa is gonna be the largest podcasting market in the world just off of sheer numbers and the fact that people are comfortable getting audio through their ears, right? Yeah. But wow, like 
we get to be pioneers in podcasting yeah. on the continent. And I'm so grateful to be able to work alongside people who inspire me. And I get to see men and women across the continent breaking down barriers to entry in every capacity. I think it's incredibly cool and I'm humbled. And I also am very excited to be able to make impact and have a difference. Wow. Wow. That is, I feel like everything that you said gave me goosebumps because it resonates. <laughs> so it, it genuinely, the personal element resonates so much with my own life in terms of like, as you said, every time I've moved, whether it's New York or Jamaica or here to London, it gives you an opportunity to not intentionally, but to to recreate yourself, right? You learn something new about yourself. You're given a sense of freedom to explore a different side of yourself that you probably wouldn't have had the opportunity to do in another space. Um, and so, so yeah, that's, that's such a, it's such a good thing for so many of our women, because I think so many of our women are starting to travel now and starting to, so many of the women in, in the UK are moving to Jamaica actually are moving to the Caribbean because the pandemic has opened up this opportunity for them and they've realized, or they feel like, they want to explore a different side of themselves. And so I don't know if you have any like tips for, well, one of the things that you mentioned actually is how much research that you did before you actually even moved, which I think is incredibly important. And I think one of the things that it highlights for me is you, you can be fearless, but be smart about it, right? Like do your research, be as informed as you possibly can. Uh, whether it's professionally or personally. And it seems like you did the same with taking on this position in Afropods. As you said, it's like a huge undertaking, right? Um, and when you were first presented with the opportunity, I mean, I know you had done consulting before in the audio space, as you said, but what was... I guess, what was your biggest surprise when you entered the space and not having lived on the continent before and then jumping in, moving into the, moving to Kenya and then also being presented with this massive undertaking of kind of representing the voices of people within the, within the audio space, within the podcasting world in Africa, like across the Oh my the gosh, <laughs> what a question. <laughs> what was I surprised by? You know, the first thing that comes to my mind, like I mentioned, I'm a New Yorker and we move fast yeah. and we're so efficient <laughs> and we're bossy and we're timely and we don't <laughs> we don't have any patience right i'm definitely <laughs> generalizing new yorkers but the work and business etiquette in kenya is completely different mm. an example i'll give you nobody does business on a first meeting they don't know you <laughs> they don't trust you you have to go sit with someone they have to look at you they have to see if you're a good person. They have to decide if they like you. You don't do business on the first time, the second time, third time, maybe you'll do it on the fourth time, but, and maybe I'm a little exaggerating or maybe I'm not exaggerating enough. But what's, <laughs> what I've realized is that it's really about relationships here. And it doesn't matter if you are, are working for some huge multinational company or some massive business. At the end of the day, people really understand it's not the business that's left when you leave it's the relationship. So yeah. when you jump from company to company, you still have those relationships with people and people are really focused on building those out and developing trust. And I mean, business does tend to move a little bit slower than it does in New York, but 
New York is an anomaly <laughs> and nobody is like New York anywhere in the world. I think you'd be able to say that about any city, but it was definitely a shock as to how many times I was able to step in it in the beginning, okay. right? <laughs> I, I needed to, I needed to learn and there was no way that you were just going to be able to tell me this is how it is and okay. me learn it. Like I had to, you know, when you have to make the mistake yeah, and then it doesn't happen again because you've completely horrified yourself. Yes. It's like, what else could happen? Let me just, it opens oh, yeah. up to just like, yeah. I did that a lot. And, you know, I, I don't think I was arrogant about it. You know, it's just people are different. And Kenya is also a very non-confrontational society. So being direct is not really something that most people appreciate. Mm -hmm. And when I have a problem and it's about work, yeah. you can't, it's about the work. Yeah, how could you possibly offend me about the work? You know, <laughs> so like, I want to talk about it. I want to understand it. I want to put it on the table and that can come across as abrasive. And mm -hmm. so I've definitely adopted the Disney way of doing business <laughs> where like Disney, they, they're really famous for like mirroring you, right? So they're not offensive at all at Disney World. They do open hand pointing. Like they'll never point yeah, with one yeah, finger. Yeah. They don't do like a thumbs up. They <laughs> literally are as uh non-confrontational as possible and they mirror your actions so that's like a, a tip of etiquette i learned like if you go out to dinner and someone picks up their glass of water you pick up your glass of water too oh wow. like if you don't know what fork to use you got 15 forks next to you and you're at this <laughs> dinner with soup spoons and fish knives and whatever wait till someone else picks up the utensil and follow them <laughs> make it till you make it you'll be all right so um that was probably the biggest lesson and and thing that surprised me just how different business and um, business etiquette and work culture is. Mm, interesting. And then why, why Afropods? I mean, why was storytelling so important to you? Was this something that you always wanted to kind of do, but you just didn't know what format it was going to take? Like, or is it something that you've grown to love because you've joined Afropods? I definitely think I've been more exposed to the intricacies of digital storytelling with Afropods for sure. But you know, black people are storytellers. Yeah. Every single, like, I mean, you, you go to the, they have uh, these little, on the side of the street, they have these little like shops where they sell fruits and vegetables or mandazi, which is like a flour pastry, right? You ask, or Uber drivers, let me just use an easy example. I get in the <laughs> Uber and I'm like, how's your day? This man has a story for me. <laughs> He's like, man, I went to go get fuel and there was a line and there's this and there's that. And, you know, everyone has a story. I can literally, I can speak to Ghanaian storytelling because of my grandparents. And I swear my grandparents talk in riddles, right? Like, yeah. There's an example I have. Um, so like I, I make a joke, the natural migration pattern of Ghanaians is to go to Manchester or London. <laughs> and so mine are in Manchester. Okay. And I was like nine years old visiting my grandparents and I wanted to have some money to go to the shop to buy sweets or something. It's like, grandpa, can I have a couple of quid? Let me, I need to go to the shop. And he pulled me really close and he said, if your hand is empty, ask your pocket why. Wow. What, what, wait, hold on. What does that mean? Like literally <laughs> to this day, what are you talking about? And, you know, I think that 
you always hear about like older people having so much wisdom Mm -hmm. and then you see these like Anansi stories and then you you see something like Black Panther right Black Panther making all of this money the story of Black Panther is a very famous fable and story it's or Killmonger rather the tell the count um the character Killmonger it's the boy that's not embraced by the village will burn down the village to feel its flame yeah hello you I mean like you I did not know that that was a Killmonger uh, no, no, it's on the story of Killmongo. It's, I mean, maybe it's not formally, but when you hear that, yeah, yeah, hello, yeah, yeah. it's the same thing. Like yeah. all of these things are related, right? When you, when you think about all of this incredible history on the continent, think of like Adinkra symbols out of Ghana. Like each one of them have a story, right? Senkofa, the bird with the, um, the yeah. bird with the egg on the back, it means to go back and return and get it right? Like you could use the Sankofa symbol to represent my journey back home, yeah. returning to get what I needed to get. I mean, there's just so much. And I think when you talk about storytelling, it's been something that's fundamental globally mm-hmm. for Black people. And I mean, you could talk about Twitter threads. You could talk about the story of um, Zola. Yeah. She, you know what I mean? Like every other day, there's something new on Twitter. And more often than not, it's a black person giving us <laughs> an Oscar-worthy story, you know? And I think that that's so cool. So when you ask like, when did I become passionate about this? I've always loved listening to stories. People mm-hmm. have been better storytellers than I have. I think historically Africa has some of the most beautiful stories in the world and I'm biased, but so many people haven't heard these stories and it's a chance when, you, when you're talking about the internet and the fastest digital growing market in the world and podcasts being able to bridge the gap, it's such an exciting time for people to tell the stories the way they want to. Mm-hmm. And then you have, you, can, you can't forget that most of the continent was colonized, right? Like speaking on Kenya specifically, they were colonized by the British. Children in school don't learn Kenyan history. They learn yeah. British history. So how do you even keep tradition alive? it's usually around a fire telling stories. It's at your grandparents' house, it's, it's with your friends. Like we have a very oral history since the beginning of time. Stories have always been the way to communicate and recognizing that and then seeing the impact of radio and understanding that I get to have a role in this space. It has made it so rewarding to feel like I have important work and something that um, a woman I know said, and I really respect her for putting this phrase on my map, is she said, I just wanna see African creators take up as much space as possible and get paid for their content. Yeah. And I have stolen that and I've said it in every single meeting I've ever I've heard you say it before. <laughs> Renny, your conference storytellers is incredible. You have changed the game. I am so grateful that you were able to articulate exactly what I'm feeling. And I hope that more people use that expression Mm -hmm. because more is more. Like the ecosystem right now of podcasting on the continent is so small and trying to take a piece of it is really small-sided. Like everyone needs to build. And so I'm just grateful to be part of the building. So when you ask when I was passionate, I mean, I was born into it. And now I have an opportunity to professionally spend most of my waking hours thinking about this so that's how that comes together I think I hope I answered that no you more than answered it and it just it made me think about how impactful just that 
limited oral storytelling, you know, as you said, around a file through grandparents talking to their grandchildren and how that's traveled throughout the diaspora. I mean, Anansi stories are something that I grew up with as a kid in Jamaica, as a child in Jamaica. The idea of proverbs, you know, um, you know, even though there there may not be um, the awareness of African proverbs may not be as prevalent in the Caribbean. We have our own proverbs that have been adopted and transformed from those very proverb, those very same proverbs that you grew up listening to from Ugandan grandparents. And so, just the impact that it's had, even before we get into the advancement of technology and radio and podcasting, is is really powerful. And I'm I'm kind of wondering if there is a a trade-off to to that benefit of of the technology and you know radio and podcasting and there's I was in a conversation or as as a talk the other day and we were talking about this idea of like double consciousness and how it's really good to be able to share and and to expand the reach of those stories but is there a is there a trade-off in terms of kind of exposing yourself to to people outside of your community. I mean, for us at Dope Black Women, obviously, we do this podcast. And on this podcast, I share some really vulnerable stories. You know, we talk about, I've done episodes on my endometriosis, and I've talked about, uh, you know, sexual violence. And we've talked about stuff that's, Rashan's talked about her dad being in prison. And someone asked me when I was doing this talk whether or not there was the potential for those vulnerable moments and those stories to be exploited. And so I'm, yeah, I'm wondering if there are things that you think about in terms of how you approach advancing this very important and culturally embedded um, gem of, of African culture when, when you expose it to like the rest of the world, you know, to the other. Wow add more to the responsibility <laughs> heavy is the crown heavy is the crown dr leanne lovers okay um you know when i said that there's a responsibility there really is and something that gives me a little bit of buffer between the creator and our business is the fact that we are a technical platform so mm-hmm. ultimately what we want to be able to do is give people the statistics like they're information as a home for African podcasts that they can then go and whether it's sell against to get advertising revenue or to get exposure and frankly bridge the gap between the continent and the diaspora. So there are people who are podcasting on the continent who tell incredibly vulnerable stories. And there's a woman that comes to mind. She was for a while, maybe still currently, but definitely for a while, she was the largest podcaster out of East Africa. And she has a podcast where she takes WhatsApp calls or conversations or messages and people are extremely vulnerable. And the woman who's a host, she was a survivor of sexual gender-based violence. And she talks about her experience and whatnot. She's extremely open in her story and she'll have conversations about you know, grief and loss. And I think that she's creating a really safe space um, especially because people don't really talk about that. Another one is a woman who I know who just actually had a TED talk, not a TEDx talk, but a TED talk. She's a TED fellow. Major difference. <laughs> Major difference. And she just spoke at Palm Springs and she's part of the LGBTQ community here in Kenya. 
which is growing, but still kind of small. And on the continent, you know, people are definitely not as open as some other places in the world, let's say. And she makes space with her podcast to have these really difficult conversations, you know? And um, I think that my point in saying all of this is, yeah, I have a responsibility as Afropods here, um, but my responsibility doesn't interfere at all with the content that people want to generate and create. And I think my responsibility comes in from an amplification perspective. Mm -hmm. Like I have the opportunity to amplify someone through marketing or to get them more exposure or to give them opportunity to speak somewhere or to be put in front of something. Or if someone's asking for an interview, drop the name of a podcast that may not traditionally get as much exposure. So that's where I see myself being able to amplify vulnerable conversations, but from an exploitation perspective. And it's something someone told me, exploitation is not capturing the value you create, period. Mm -hmm. That's it. And so if you are creating value and someone knows you're creating value and you're not capturing it, you're being exploited. Mm -hmm. So if there's something valuable that's happening and I can at least get exposure If I'm, I mean, we have a monetization tool on our platform. So like we're paying creators Mm -hmm. and that's, that absolutely helps, right? Like it's the responsibility of the creator to market and support themselves. Like we are the technical home. We're the back end of what you guys are doing as content creators. But I personally feel a responsibility to get these stories that most people may not have heard about in other regions or spaces out there. And I think that as we get more vernacular languages, like right now we have podcasts available to be searched in over 50 languages, and we're going to be working on that continually. But as we get podcasts that are in languages I don't speak, I think I have a responsibility to understand the messaging around these podcasts so that I can also amplify them, right? Like, that's what's so cool about being on this continent of 1.3 billion people, 1500 plus languages, everyone's under the age of 30. It's amazing. Yeah. And now we get to memorialize culture and memorialize language. And just because some of this may not be in English, that's okay. That means it's not for me. Yeah. I mean, I'm an American. I think everything is for me. <laughs> this is this is a very clear example of okay, there's a Somali podcast that has 40 million downloads. I'm not joking. Wow. This is a real stat. Their Somali community is so insular right and what I mean by that is like they really support each other right Mm -hmm. that podcast is not for me (laughs) I don't I don't understand it but does that mean that I can't support it does that mean that I can't amplify it does that mean that I can't take up space absolutely not like yeah we want as much more is more and I think as people have more access to the internet and more access to digital platforms where they can create, whether it's a video or audio file or a photograph or a tweet, people choose the medium that they want to share in and people choose the medium they want to consume in. And I'm just happy to be a vehicle where I can provide value from an audio perspective because of how important radio has been, how important voices have been, how comfortable people are telling stories. So I hope and believe that podcasting is going to be huge here. We're seeing like numbers up every day, but you know, it's still in its infancy here. And like the data isn't, the data subsets aren't as large as I'd like them to be. 
because people are popping up literally everywhere. (laughs) If you've ever tried to get data, you know how hard it is to like wrangle some people to give you information. So (laughs) we're working on it. Actually, what you've just said made me think about the flip side to that, right? So obviously, yes, there is this like space for people to appropriate what you're doing, right? And actually, I wanted to talk about appropriation a little bit, but there's also this massive opportunity to unlearn some of the things that colonialism has impacted us with, right? So it's even when you talk about language, um, you're talking about going back to something that was original, probably during colonialism was not allowed. I think about, you know, Senegal and the fact that French is, you know, their, or at some point in time was their main language and that at some point in time, people were not on the continent were not allowed to speak their own languages. I think about Jamaica and the fact that Patwa isn't considered a language, it's considered vernacular. And so the world of podcasting and the way in which you're doing this provides people with the space to return to something that was originally denied of them. And I don't know how you feel about that or if you have any thoughts on it. Oh, I have thoughts. I always have thoughts. <laughs> Me, I have thoughts. That you could be you could be certain I have a thought. Um, you know, I've said this before and it's a really interesting time that we're sitting in right now because our elders are dying. Mm-hmm. Our grandparents are passing away. Our aunts and uncles are passing away. Our parents are passing away. And culture nowadays is so homogeneous, like homogeneous. And what I mean by that is you'd be popping a bottle in Lagos and Nairobi and Sydney and London and New York and Buenos Aires and Mexico City. You could be listening to the same music. And when you talk about Gen Z and the fact that TikTok is so accessible everywhere, and I love TikTok. I think it's an incredible search engine and I'm excited to see what they do with it. I'm very fascinated. But you have people like um, like the Elsa Majimbo who became really, really popular. She was the yeah, woman who was on the bed doing- uh, Eating her uh, crisps and- Eating the sunglasses, yeah. yeah. So funny. I think she's so funny. She she got me through the pandemic personally. I consume a lot of content and you see someone like her, not her, but someone like her, what she represents. And there's so many people who fit that mold, like fit the same, wearing the same type of clothes, wearing the, listening to the same type of music, eating the same things, going to the same places. And of course, we know everybody got their own little sauce, especially black women. So mm-hmm. Elsa Majimbo's definitely got her own secret <laughs> sauce, but it feels like a much more homogeneous culture globally, whereas before, mm-hmm. and maybe that's due to the fact that people couldn't travel as easily, culture felt so different from place to place. And I think that when you talk about memorializing these languages, it's like my dream, my yeah. dream would be to have my grandparents, well, my grandmother, because my grandfather passed, but like to have my grandmother tell African stories, like short five, 10 minute long stories and make it into a podcast. Like it just feels right having an old African person say these stories. And I think that it's gonna be very interesting to see how the digital landscape changes because there's always going to be localized concerns, right? There's always going to be things that affect one region more than another. But I think more often than not with the 
access of the internet and um, digital connectivity, we realize how much the same, how much of the same we all are, mm -hmm. like how little is unique to the human experience. And that's kind of, um, that's kind of comforting, especially yeah. in a world where everything is so crazy. And especially during a time where COVID is happening and you're in a pandemic and you're isolated and it's like, well, there's someone that's all the way on the other side of the world. That's totally different than me, but going through the same thing. Yeah. So it's a double-edged sword. On one side, it's it's a good thing because you're connected and you're relatable. But on the other side, it's like we're losing the things that made us so unique and so different because we're trying to conform into this idea of what cool is or, or subjectively what's cool yeah. from what the internet is telling us, right? Like those TikTok dances. <laughs> Which I don't TikTok even dances. attempt to take, I, I can't, I can't. I'll walk on knees. I gotta go down, we'll go down there and we'll be able to come back up, okay? Like we'll be stuck on the bottom, okay? Like it's not <laughs> happening for us, so it's not. I can't do it. We keep talking about doing more TikTok videos on Dope Black Women and I'm like, I cannot, I'm too old. Roshan has to take that on board. <laughs> God bless her. God bless her. Not all, not all heroes wear capes. So we thank her. Yeah. Bless I'll, her. I'll do yeah. my best to amplify, right? <laughs> but on that note, your grandmother telling her stories has to happen. Like, oh, gosh. You need to make that happen. That sounds insanely epic. And you have the platform to do it. You just need to convince her, I'm sure. <laughs> That's the part. That's the part you're talking about. You know how old people are. They, they pretend they don't hear you and they don't want to do something. Yeah. <laughs> and then if they if they do hear you, they ignore you or they just will outright say no. So we'll work on it. We'll work on her. She's, um, she, I have, what my middle name is her name as well. And we look alike, like very alike. If you've seen my WhatsApp photo, that's her. Oh yes, so, I, I saw it earlier. Yeah, 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 yeah. Girl, genetics are strong. I love, like, whew, we, if you didn't know where I came from, you know where I come from. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm sure the personality is, you know, is is reflected as well. And there's like not just uh, aesthetic genetics, right? But you pass well, on thank you for that. Right, traits and um, you've told you've been such a great storyteller throughout the co course of this conversation already. So I'm gonna wait for <laughs> long podcast. Um, thank you. The the interesting thing about well. Well, one of the interesting things I learned about you before we started recording was that Molly is a Vibes Cartel fan. No. Okay, wait, 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 wait. <laughs> Vibes Cartel is iconic. And if you are not a Vibes Cartel fan, that's something wrong with you. Exactly. Me being, a fan is not, me being a fan should not be anything unusual. If you are not a fan, that's that's unusual you know no, but this is the thing so i everybody who listens to this podcast knows no everybody who listens to this podcast knows that i am a massive cartel fan which seems like an oxymoron because i'm also a huge womanist or self-proclaimed womanist and it doesn't but it fits and i promise we will have a whole episode one day for those of you who are listening about why Vibes Cartel is actually a feminist, but we'll, that's a different story, oh. a different conversation. I have a full theory. I have a full theory. We won't get into it now, but um, <laughs> we're going to. 
Yeah, so Molly has a huge love for dance hall. She's a fan of Spice. She's a fan of Cartel. We agreed that we are going to the first Cartel concert as soon as he gets released from prison, no matter how old we are. I will be there. I will, I will be, be there, there right in the front. Uh, well, not in the front because you <laughs> never know what happens old. in the front. But I think I'll be too old to be like carried away and put on the fence. So it'll be okay. But you know, um, I am a big fan of dance hall and especially Soka. And my favorite year was 2015 in recent memory. I think they had the best Soka songs that were released that year. Just fun fact, bite me if you want. <laughs> but Spice is my queen. I love her. I think she's so entertaining. I think that she's like this dynamic, wonderful queen of dance hall. She's entertaining. She's climbing on the truss. She's singing her heart out. She got her blue hair. This body doesn't quit. This woman Oh my God, is... her body's amazing. Come on now. First of all, every time I see her, like going on whoever's paying for these tours in Europe and I see her like pull out the sheet, I'm like, <laughs> Gonna be on this stage here who is gonna dance with her like what is gonna happen i know i'm about to be entertained and um i just love it i feel like gosh man there's a club in queens i forget the name and spice was performing and i really wanted to go and my friends were like i'm not going to that club <laughs> please come with me and they're like molly we're not going to that club any anyway I didn't end up going. So I haven't even seen her live yet. And the next time she was in New York, I was actually traveling. So my opportunity will come and we might just have to wait till I'm in Jamaica again. I was going to say, Nikeba and I just have to plan a trip to Jamaica for you so you can come and see her. Jamaica is God's land, okay? Blessed <laughs> country. They got everything. What a beautiful, like, I went to Jake's. I oh my God. Oh, I love yeah. Jake's. For those yeah, stop who know, Jake's is a spot in St. Elizabeth, which is the southwest part of the country. And one of the great things about Jake's is that it's one of the more untouched parts of Jamaica, but also it's the people that make St. Elizabeth what it is like. There is something, I mean, Jamaicans, very similar to how uh, many African countries are described, actually. They're often described as aggressive, they're overzealous, they're not but they are warm and entertaining and vibrant and it never sucks to be a jamaican like there's nothing oh my like gosh. Jamaican that, that isn't amazing you're you're underplaying it <laughs> I, I i uh i said something to someone and i could be wrong so for the listeners out here please don't fact. <laughs> please do research this is i have not done research on here but i was like i think the impact of every jamaican in the world is like they have impacted black culture like 50 fold because yeah, yeah. there's only i googled it there's like three million jamaicans three million population yeah. it is so small and every country i've ever been to i've seen either a bob marley sign or a jamaica flag or like you can talk about the impact of marijuana you could talk about any raga reggae anything it's amazing. Jamaica has had so much impact. You guys have incredible coffee. You got like, come on now. Everyone in the world has heard of Jamaica, but not everyone in the world has heard of a Burkina Faso. You know what I mean? Like Burkina Faso has incredible organic cotton, by the way. I have a suit from cotton made in Burkina Faso oh. and I think it's an amazing country. But my point is like for such a small country, yeah. even comparing to just other countries in the Caribbean, mm -hmm 
Jamaica, it's magic. magic. Yeah. Oh my gosh. And whenever you see a video on on Twitter or TikTok or something, even without the sound, you (laughs) You can tell. Well, first of all, you know, these people definitely don't know each other. And some (laughs) song plays, it's like coffee toast, right? That song plays, nobody knows each other, but they somehow all got the same dance move. Someone do one move and other people catch on. And it's just like the vibes, the vibes are high. And I hope that I got a chance to go back to Jamaica. I have to make it a priority, but what a place. You are highly blessed, highly favored to be from such a country. (laughs) Yeah, in so many ways, we've avoided many natural disasters that have like completely destroyed other countries in the Caribbean and say, and we've been saved from them. And like in me, on many levels, we are highly blessed and highly favored. You're gonna have to come for Christmas. I've already decided I'm gonna talk to Nike, but we're gonna make it happen. Girl, but- you, you gotta get two of me. You gotta get two of me because I'm gonna be in between West Africa, Caribbean. I gotta be in New York <laughs> with my family. Who knows? I might try to go to Brazil to see some fireworks. So we're oh just gonna have to like, split me into we'll multiple but i'm sure now speaking on this issue of like cultural retention and appropriation you've seen the recent grammy outrage about i don't even know what their how you pronounce their their name soja we're just gonna call them the the white group that won (laughs) i don't want to give them any more visibility than they've already gotten we're gonna you're, not gonna, you're not gonna tag them in the comments. You're not gonna hashtag it. You're not gonna do no, anything. Okay. But we're gonna, we, talk, we're about, gonna talk about yeah, the fact that five people were nominated, who I will name, Grams Morgan, Jesse Royal, for those of you who don't know, is an amazing, amazing, young, talented reggae artist. Spice, who is the My reigning queen. queen of dance hall for all of us, but especially Molly. <laughs> and sean paul right so of all of those people one group that is not jamaican and has no black people in it managed to win a grammy for reggae music which their album also is not reggae music let me also be fundamentally clear that for anybody who even thinks about listening to that album it is not reggae for many reasons sonically it's not it doesn't carry the sounds of reddit reggae it doesn't carry the beat it, the essence nothing so i'm gonna let molly have her like two minute rant about this situation <sighs> within the context of cultural appropriation <laughs> okay thank you for framing that because i was just about to go to go on a rant i wasn't <laughs> sure if I, where to frame it but the first part of that is the grammys are dead wrong like period we just got to leave it they're dead wrong they definitely do not represent black culture in any capacity. And we could see that not only with this reggae um, category, but the fact that like Wizkid Essence didn't win or Maiden Lagos didn't win is insane. And I saw Naomi Campbell do this whole post about it on the internet, but the impact of black culture is undeniable. The impact of reggae is undeniable. Sean Paul, I was just telling you that I feel like he should have a versus just so I could be entertained because <laughs> no one can beat him. And I would like to see someone try. I would like to see it. Spice, I've already told you my feelings on her. And I mean, like, frankly, how you have a genre of music that comes from a specific place and specific people specific experiences with specific instruments Mm -hmm. and you don't win 
And, and I don't know if this was the first time they had the category. I don't think I've ever seen the category. No, it's definitely not, but they've never used to present it on air. So it's interesting that the the one time they present it on air is the one time that... Oh my yeah. God, come on now. You know they're trolling with us. The fact of the matter is the the people who are on the Academy, I don't know them personally, but the people who are on the Academy, <laughs> they they have no idea what real vibes are. That's what I got to say about that. And also they they must not understand the impact and the cultural importance of reggae and what it means to have someone who's from outside the culture take an award on such a prestigious stage and not take that opportunity to give credit to people who have lived this experience and fought yeah. for this recognition and and to allow those people to take up space it's such a disservice you know like yeah a, this there could be no clearer example of like appropriation now like people want to create however they want to create cool right like i get it more is more but when you talk about receiving recognition how could you do it better than someone who's lived it? How could you do it better than someone who's who's from there, from someone who, it, like, this is the birthplace of reggae. Yeah. And I just, I can't even really give it breath because if you don't understand how asinine this is and how- <laughs> Great word for it. Yeah, like how objectively wrong you are, it's like, then you're really not going to get it, right? Like Black people being outraged again, it's like, okay, now these people, like to your point, people are getting visibility. These people who I won't name either are getting visibility for something that they really shouldn't. And in no way, shape or form, if Spice is listening to this, does this make you not my queen? <laughs> <laughs> like in, in no way, shape or form, does this diminish the work and the talent of black people who create reggae music, especially Jamaican people who create music. In no way, shape or form does this say anything about the impact of Wizkid. Mm -hmm. And I mean, you know, I have a whole theory, not a theory, I have a whole belief on with the, the rise of Wizkid and the rise of Burner Boy and how much space they're able to take up now is truly due to the fact that they were able to step on the shoulders of giants, right? Mm -hmm. P-Square, Debange. Yeah. Um, you know, and then before that, you have the King of Afrobeat, Fela, you yeah. know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, you have high life music out of Ghana. There's yeah. people impacted each other. And like, then to have something as huge as Essence. Yeah, huge. massive. You couldn't get away from that song. You couldn't, you could not, it was on every single radio station. It was everywhere, covered by everyone, then remixed by one of the biggest white pop stars ever and for it to not win come on it's you think it's if he didn't win that time you don't think he's do you think he's ever gonna win another time like yeah. it's undeniable and i think that um we can be like outraged and upset and get our little pitchforks and and <laughs> complain because because we gotta complain we gotta we gotta air our grievances but at the same time like these shows ain't for us. They know what they're doing. Well, I was just going to say, it goes back to what you're doing with Afropods, which is you are in giving kind of a proverbial middle finger to the podcast spaces or the audio spaces that 
previously would have never let someone publicize or publicize or or uh, amplify a podcast in Swahili and you're creating space for that to be done and done in a way that is organic and authentic and I think the alternative to the Grammys is creating our own space within black music which is being done across various uh you know across the diaspora to celebrate ourselves and to build our own industries one of the biggest things that is lacking within reggae music which i think the world of african music and afrobeats has done really well is create an industry around it and we're still that's something that we're still struggling about struggling with well to be clear on that i mean billboard just announced they're going to have an afrobeats chart and they're removing they, the dance hall one or the reggae one. What? I yeah. didn't hear that. What? Wait, hold on. Let me finish this Afrobeat thing and then say <laughs> what one more time. The thing is, the Afrobeats chart was inspired or created because of the success of Beyonce's Black is King, yeah. which is, okay, I'm in the beehive, Same. but that's ridiculous. That's ridiculous. Like, that's actually ridiculous. <laughs> and when you look at the charts now, it's like you have white people in the top three. And you know how these systems work, right? There are people who like make the algorithm work for them. So is it really going to be representative of the culture? Probably not. And so when you talk about creating an industry, I mean, Afrobeats has gone global in a way that I love to see. I love the music. I love to see the recognition. I'm a piano is not far behind it. I yeah. mean, it's, it's, it's blowing it's, up big time. Yeah. It's blowing up and, you know, reggae, maybe it doesn't feel like it's this super hot and trendy genre but the longevity of reggae good point oh, it's a staple it's a staple you don't like you you wish you hope that anything you do has the longevity that reggae has had yeah true yeah like it's it identifies a whole culture of people mm. you know what i mean and like the the difference is africa is 1.3 billion people <laughs> you know what i mean like it's just such a huge population there's yeah. so many sub segments of it and when people think about african culture they tend to think of west africa and that's because outside of the continent most people in the diaspora feel like they come from West Africa due to like the ancestry.com, the 23andMe, the genealogy test. They show that people come through the slave trade, right? Slave trade left out of West Africa, went through the Caribbean, went to the States, wherever. And so a lot of people have feel like they have ties to that area. They feel tied to Kente cloth. They feel tied to Ankara or Katenge or whatever you call it. And I think that's amazing, but it also makes for a perfect storm with like year of return in Ghana, Black is King from Beyonce doing well, TikTok showing different parts of the continent. And all of this visibility is incredible. It really, really is incredible. But at the same time, like, how do I articulate this? At the same time, Black people globally have not been given the same opportunities as white people or had the same level of disposable income or frankly are able to open the same doors. And because of that, when you have uh, institutional doors like the Grammys or mm -hmm. billboard charts or whatever it may be, the, the, the powers that be 
who have money who pump into specific artists, whether it's like Justin Bieber getting to number one with Essence. Like there's a literal formula for this. And the formula doesn't always play to the favor of black people. And I think you need to know that. So like, to the part that you were saying, like we're taking up space with Afropods. Yeah, it's absolutely important. You need to like, it's searchability and discoverability is so hard with podcasts as it is on any platform that's an yeah. industry-wide problem, like the very least we could do is be able to search podcasts by country or by language. You know what I mean? And so, and so many people, if you move to another country, do you know the way that people say they learn the language? It's watching TV or listening yeah. to radio. Yeah, yeah, it's true. This is another, this is another opportunity to do so. So, I mean, um, I feel really excited to be part of this place, taking up space. I understand how rampant cultural appropriation is and how infuriating it is to people. But I think we're sitting on a real resurgence and recognition, especially on the continent, because frankly, there's, it's just it's the last left opportunity, wealth of resource, people, minerals, space, land. There's never been a quote, quote, sexier time to be mm. on the continent. True. And I think with all of this content and visibility uh, and TikToks and YouTubes and Instagrams and tweets or whatever, you really are getting to see what it's like to be like an OG of Black culture. Yeah. And it's really cool. Yeah, that's amazing. You put that so well. Perfect rant. Great rant. <laughs> Um, and that's actually a really good way to to wrap up i thank you so much molly this has been such an insightful conversation in a way that i actually didn't even anticipate i mean i knew you were going to say some amazing things but i feel like you have just impressed upon me the impact of the work that you're doing and how excited dope black women is to be a part of just even in knowing you and kind of being a part of this and in any small way contributing to the platform is is a real honor. And so thank you for the, doing the work that you're doing because it's so important to us in a way that I don't think that many of us will realize for years to come. I mean, obviously some of us will realize it immediately, but like the widespread impact is going to be insane. And so I'm, I'm really excited to see what Afropods does next please keep us posted and tell people how they can find out more about Afropods, tell them how to find you, tell them how to jump onto the platform if they have a podcast that they want to, to share or give visibility to. How do they find you? Sure. Well, firstly, thank you. Thank you, Leanne. Thank you for having me. Thank you for considering me. And also thank you for sharing the podcast on Afropods. You know, like the idea of RSS is that your content can be anywhere and everywhere. And with what we're doing is we're we're a hosting platform. So we offer free hosting and we actually, because we're still a startup, even though we're successful, but it, because we're a startup, we are able to be more reachable. So if there's like a specific stat that you need, we can literally build it out. Like you can reach out to me and you asked, how do you reach out to us? So on all social channels, we're at Afropods at sign A-F-R-I-P-O-D-S. Um, you can definitely contact us, just contact or support at afropods.com. Find me on LinkedIn, 
find me on on Instagram. I'm definitely down to hear from any dope black women. So I'm like, my email is mj at afropods.com. Usually I don't share that, but anyone who's <laughs> listening to this to the end, you are a dope black woman and I would love to hear from you. And I'm happy to help support, amplify, add the RSS. If you want to migrate your podcast, our tech is good. Like Apple just announced they had these like creator stats that came out a couple of weeks ago. And we, I had spent the whole first year focusing on getting to a global baseline standard, not just good for Africa, not yeah. just good for Nairobi, but good globally. Every single stat they had, we basically had it. And Amazing. I'm looking at this, like, we need to be marketing this more. We need to be amplifying this more, but you know, there has, as much as there's a focus on the diaspora, as much as there's a focus of Africans worldwide, black people worldwide, it's really important to have something that's continent first. It's really important to help people who've never been able to take up space, take up space. And fact of the matter is like, there's no way to fail, right? Like yeah. this library doesn't exist. So please contact me at Afropods. You have my email now. Um, you can find me on Instagram too, but I would love to hear from anyone what you guys thought about this. If you guys are Spice fans as well, please let me know. <laughs> if you're going to be in Nairobi, definitely hit me up. Um, or if you have any suggestions or anywhere I should go to next on the continent, I plan on traveling. But Leanne, thank you. Thank you for honoring me as a dope Black woman. I think you are an incredibly dope Black woman. Oh, and um, I'm grateful. I really am. So thank you. Mutually, mutually grateful. I, I can't say how much I've enjoyed having you. I think you're one of my favorite guests so far, actually. Girl, please. Look you at, look yourself this. so well. And it's just been such a, yeah, like it's just been such a, uh, a learning experience talking to you, but then also being able to kiki about Spice and Cartel at the same time. <laughs> wait till we kiki in person. Like, just wait. I know we've connected a couple of times, but just you wait. There's, there's, so much like how cool is it that you get to be part of a club by just being a black woman yeah right like yeah. you just you part of the club you're born in the club you're in the club for life like I got you sis and it's it's an honor and I can't thank Nakiba enough and I also can't I can't understate how valuable this community is and how important yes. it is so like to all you dope black women out there keep killing it let me know how I can support you. Find me on LinkedIn, please, because we got to keep speaking each other up in rooms that we're not in. And we got to keep showing up in the biggest ways possible and, you know, correct each other in, in, in private. But like, yes. we're taking over. It's ridiculous. Black women are so impressive. It's, come on now. Anyways, thank you. No one will see more than a black woman. Like nobody... There, I always say that the biggest compliment that I ever get is when I get dressed up, I go and another black woman comes up to me and is like, is like, girl, you look good. And nothing brings me more pleasure. And that's what we do as black women for each other. We genuinely, like there's an inherent like pull to support each other. And that's what I found kind of, Roshan and I have found in, in building this space. And it's really just been, every day it's a joy to do this. Like there's no greater pleasure I get than than doing this podcast and and being a part of the space and interacting with the woman on on WhatsApp so welcome you know welcome to this wait 
funny. There was one thing I know I wish we have to wrap this up, but there was one thing <laughs> that I wanted to say to you when you were talking about a lot of people moving back to Jamaica and whatnot. Mm-hmm. And it's something I realized when I first moved to Kenya, everyone's black. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? It's like, you know, when you're in the States and you're like, oh, I need to find my, my squad. Like, who are my people? Like, who do I ask where I get my edge control? Or like, can somebody yeah. help me with finding a good braider? It's like, you got to find your Black people, right? Like, not everybody is your people. That's just a fact of life. Yeah. But like here, it's like, you have such a big pool. Yeah. <laughs> everybody, <It's true>. <laughs> everybody understands. Like, I've been I've been getting so many different hairstyles like it's getting it's getting crazy but this is the <laughs> one time in my life I can afford it and let me tell you African women have anointed hands okay like these braids yeah you can't, I can't, you can't even imagine me. you can't stop me you can't stop me. <laughs> like it's people are like Molly what are you doing and I'm like you know what you would too this is my one opportunity to be a true fly gal and it's so, so- <laughs> oh, I had like I think I had like knee length blonde braids almost knee length and I was like this is this is what we doing now wait till I wait till I start like really wilding out with the colors wait till I can lay down a wig (laughs) I'm not there yet I'm still working on the braids but anyways my point was I think it's really cool to be living in a community of black people like something my college um roommate like she we went to school in DC and um she would like run and she was like you know you never see black women jogging that was her thing and I was like you really don't be seeing black women jogging so true we do in Jamaica (laughs) you do in Kenya only black women are jogging and and every time I see someone jogging I think of my college roommate because she was like I'm gonna run (laughs) (laughs) and you know I'm obviously generalizing I don't want anyone to think I'm like ignorant or something like that but it's just really cool to be part of a community where like you really don't have to speak the unspoken words yeah. and you're just everyone everyone understands the value of community everyone understands the value of showing up and everyone is like you like i that's you're why they're moving with that foundation yeah no it's so yeah. true i always tell people that even now that i'm back in london i struggle to find a good nail tech I still don't know where I'm going to go get my hair done when it's time for me to go get my hair done for my birthday next weekend. And you know what I mean? So it's like, but if I was in Jamaica, it's anywhere you go, there's a standard of quality that you can't just can't get here for whatever reason. Right. You can't, you can't. Well, I have no more to add. I have no more. <laughs> Thanks everyone for listening to the podcast. For those of you who are listening, don't forget to like, share, subscribe. We'll be back with you next week. Until then, stay blessed and unapologetically black.